Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night of lovely comedy and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC James Ross and this is Quantum Leopard. This episode we have another wonderful Harriet Brain. Um, this set was recorded on the 26th of September 2020 uh, by Matt Hyten at uh, 21 Soho and the interview took place on the 6th of July 2022. Uh, this is our first recording um, of any show. We just came back uh, from big long COVID break uh, so there was kind of this looming sense of threat over everything. Um, so uh, content warnings uh, for uh, fascism and uh, passing reference dead babies. Uh, I right, old school. Uh, enjoy! <laughs> symptoms to Kitty, uh, the last uh, five that you heard, and it was a great set by the way, Kitty, um, but yeah, like I really sympathise with your, with your symptoms. Um, does anyone else, anyone else think they might have had it? The, the code? <laughs> no? Um, well, I think I might have had it, and um, this, is my, this is my COVID story. <laughs> <laughs> I must have gotten COVID I've lost my sense of taste My judgement is eroded My preferences misplaced I'm buying books by Nazis And carpet for my bog My jokes are all dead babies And I want to fuck Reese Mog. <laughs> that monkey Jesus painting is my favorite work of art. I find death entertaining and in lifts I always fart. I only watch the adverts when I watch TV, except if there's a black shirt in a war documentary. Then I'll pause it on the fascist. Then I'll hit print screen. What chord is that? Oh, it's that one. Then I'll hit print screen. And I'll print a million copies. Because I hate the trees. I also hate the animals. Except for those snakes that eat baby iguanas like little lizard cakes. 
Melania's Christmas decor is the best I've ever seen. I watch Dr. Pimple Popper on my T5-inch screen. I like to think the whole world loves the smell of my B.O. So I chuck my dirty pants and shirts through any open window. You're welcome. And then I buy all new ones from lovely Jeff Bezos. And, uh, and whilst I'm there, I'll also grab some lovely asbestos to build a nice new school or a house for my family or an Olympic swimming pool in which to have a nice big wee. The earth is flat and I refer to Tower Bridges London Bridge. Uh, ammonia is my perfume and I put hot food in the fridge. Uh, I listen to the sound of foxes fucking on repeat and I put fungus-colored polish on the nails upon my feet. I used to have such good taste in all things aesthetique, but now I don't use toothpaste and I'm proud of being a deek. I must have gotten COVID despite negative tests. I took thousands so your kids didn't have to. Because I think 2020 is just the fucking best. That was the first, not to make excuses, but that was the first time I've ever played that. So, uh, that's, uh, yeah, need to, need to do a bit more practice, um, evidently. But luckily, it's all been filmed, so I don't have to play it ever again. Um, so, um, Putin rang me up the other day. <laughs> and he said, look, Harry, I've got a real image problem at the moment. Uh, what with all the poisonings. And, uh, and I was like, all right, what do you want? And he was like, I need, I need you to write a theme tune. And I was like, I'm not writing a theme tune for you. And he was like, no, 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 not for me, for my friend. Like, I need, you know, I need, like, some cool other, my loyal, you know, my friends. I want them to have cool theme tunes for publicity. And I was like, okay, that makes sense, Putin. Um, and he was like, I've got this friend, she's amazing. Uh, she's really loyal to me. And uh, she was the first woman in space. And so that's really good publicity for Russia. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll write her a theme tune. And this is what I wrote. Um, I need to pick this one, actually. Yeah, so uh, I, hope, I, hope you, I, hope, I hope you like it. Let me introduce myself. <laughs> I'm a famous cosmonaut, even though I am a gal. My name is Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkov, but you can call me Val. And that's, all, that's all I have, really. Uh, I, don't know if they, I don't know if it'll work. Um, but, you know, it can't be worse than what he's already doing, so... <laughs> so I think I'm going to send it off. Um, uh, you know, because you've got to take all the work you can. <laughs> I'm not going to turn it down. Um, uh, so yeah, do, do, I like to do theme tunes. Um, I wrote a really, I, I, ended, I was trying to write a theme tune about, um, uh, uh, this is the escapist part of the set, by the way, coming up. Uh, we're going to escape to the country and uh, talk about my favourite, okay, everyone's favourite, landscape architect. 
You've all got one. You've all got one. Anyway, uh, then this is this is everyone's favourite. He's called Capability Brown. Yeah. Yeah, I knew there'd be fans in. And um, he lived a few hundred years ago, and he had a very like boring life, and he designed some very subtle, subtle gardens. Very subtle gardens. And anyway, so um, I decided to write this song about him, about the only interesting thing about him, which is his name. Um, and it's, it's really fun. It's like, who likes a word game in here? <laughs> I so knew it, no offense. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's like crossword, but also a song. And I will need you to shout out when you, got, when you get one of the answers, all right? It'll be fine. You'll be, I'll do the first one and then you can join in. You get the, you'll get the idea, okay? Capability Brown may have been a very capable landscape architect. But what many people don't know is that he actually made a lot of mistakes. He was clumsy and a burden and a bit of a hindrance. He should have been called Liability Brown. Liability Brown. So you get it? Okay. Having said that, there were many other sides to the man. Maybe it wasn't his fault, but he kept himself exposed in a non-sexual way and, and open to attack. So he should have been called. So quick and clever. Um, despite that, Mr. Brown didn't need no protection, you see. He was hard as nails in a non-sexual way. <laughs> if something came on Adam, he'd be sure to withstand it in a material science kind of context. He should have been called... Durability Brown! Durability Brown! <laughs> what was that? What was that? In, um, that was too close to the first one. <laughs> I wouldn't make it that easy. Okay. I don't know, maybe I should have. Um, he could famously withstand anything except for one major thing, and that thing was fire. He was an absolute hazard and a gasoline bastard. He should have been called. Vulnerable! Ah! Try to be in time next time with each other. Be great. He was always off balance and often falling over. He should have been called. Yeah! <laughs> I think I heard disability over here somewhere. <laughs> Not the right answer. But he never got injured because he stretched like a gymnast. He should have been called. Flexible, he was rather sexable. He should have been called. <laughs> that was so cute. Oh, that was so cute. But also wrong. Um, Fuck a He should have been called Lancelot Brown. Because yeah, that, that was his real name. 
And that was Harriet Brain uh, live at uh, Quantum Leopard. Uh, hi, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. How's it going? Hi, James. I'm all right. How are you? Good. Good. I'm delighted to be here with you. All very exciting. So uh, now um, this gig was um, our first Quantum Leopard uh, back from uh, the big long lockdown. Um, so this is on the uh, 26th of September um, 2020. So wibbly, 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 flashback, flashback, flashback. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so like, how were you feeling going into this gig? Like, how did you find the audience? Uh, I had a few friends in the audience, um, which makes it sound like they were the, all the audience. But no, 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 just a couple <laughs> for, for sort of weirdly enough, because I don't usually feel like I need moral support in a gig because um, I've, you know, I've got over any the stage fright any any of that like years ago but this time i felt like i really needed them and i felt like i was yeah. really um uh relying on on their support which was which was well so yeah thank god they were there really because i was i was really nervous honestly really nervous like because the, the atmosphere was nervous because of the disease um I was nervous because I hadn't done any non-Zoom gigs in so long. Um, and I was doing a new song, which was not very ready. So that was, <laughs> it was a cocktail of nerves. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing after, so I mean, I found um, as a performer, like over the years, gradually, there, there are still gigs that you get excited about, but it gets harder and harder to like trigger like the adrenal response. Oh, yeah. Um, to the extent that I've, you know, after a while, I find it difficult to have my adrenaline response triggered by lots of other things, like almost being hit by a lorry, for example. <laughs> um, you know, set the bar high. So I, I found that like lockdown was like quite a reset for me on the sort of the, the adrenaline score. Did you find that as well? Or is that just a me thing? Yes, I think I did find that as well. Yeah, because we were so sort of um yeah we we were so i think i think all our fears of everything were just super heightened because we weren't experiencing anything except for things we we were watching on our screens and like and you know i I think we were so risk averse that there's like a hangover like of that when we actually entered the real world again and it was yeah definitely so uh, you start off with uh, the COVID song um, and you reference at the end of the song that there is, this is the first time that you've played that song uh, live as a set. So is that uh, part of your uh, regular repertoire uh, now? Um, is that something that you've kind of kept going with through the pandemic? Is that something that you've kind of kept going with, I mean, not exactly after pandemic, but how do you find audience res- respond to a, a COVID song? Um, I don't do it anymore. Uh, I probably did it... <sighs> Actually, you know, I probably did it for the last time just under a year ago now. Like, I, I haven't done it in a very long time. It, well, I say very long time. I did do it. I did it, like, in all of my Zoom gigs, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. And because <laughs> um, it was kind of weird if you didn't do something about yeah. COVID. But then I, I realised you know, when I was over it, everyone else was over it. And I just... I didn't want to play the song anymore because it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boring, boring, boring. Um, yeah, so I, I probably have. I haven't played it for a long time. 
yeah fair enough i mean i think you're absolutely right that doing sets um you know in this particularly in the early stages of the pandemic like you had to acknowledge it it was weird not to acknowledge it but then i think audiences were like well this is the rest of our lives i would rather that you kind of you know acknowledge it so that it's no longer weird and now we get on with the other stuff that we yeah. want to hear about that is more fun and more entertaining and um, i had i had sort of heard other because i i thought my take on it was relatively clever but then so many other people had the same take because <laughs> so it's it's sort of yeah there was there, there no point singing it after a while yeah fair enough i mean it, that is one of those tough things isn't it with i mean because you've got this phenomenon um that uh you've got like hundreds of thousands of comedians online trying to riff off of everybody's experiencing it at once and there's only so many takes that you can have in so many yeah. formulations and the <laughs> idea that anybody's going to have anything like truly original to say about the phenomenon in general is like that kind of stretches credulity a bit like it's that's definitely going to be a challenge so i found a lot of the, the kind of the more interesting covid sets were about like okay this is how about i personally dealt with this and this was definitely like, directly yeah. my experience um, and then you know, okay, well, what does that tell us about me? What does that tell us about how I relate to society? And mm. you know, like like a lot of comedy, I think it's um, you know, the, the stuff that's really really good that lasts a bit more and that has a bit more resonance is when it's like people talking to each other about each other and how that changes people rather than you know objective circumstances quite so much. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, in terms of sort of musical comedy in general, so uh, I, I have been uh, overheard, uh, indeed recorded on several occasions, saying that I think that musical comedy is basically cheating because <laughs> it, you, you have a song and then you've got a natural um, applause break after that and people are socially expected to applaud after after you've done a song. Um, and uh, But one of the things I'm interested in a little bit more is about like the ways in which it is harder. So for me if i'm just doing like straight stand-up it's like okay i'll do some stuff i'm uh, i'll do some material um and i'll test it on an audience and then i'll be able to edit it and refine it and tweak lines here and there um whereas you've got several different tracks going on at once because you've got the vocal track of these are the words that i am using but then you've also got the musicality of it and the tune of um you know how does this work from a musical perspective um so i'm i'm really interested to know like um do you do you do a song and then come back to it based on audience response with an edit? Do you repeat that process until you've got something that you like that works, um, or you or you ditch it? Um, you know, do you um, do you do something similar? Do you do that, or is it a question of okay, I've written the song now, this is basically its final form, like it or lump it, and either it goes on the album or <laughs> it goes in the fire? Um, I'd say it's mostly mostly one draft, but that's not that's only from i don't think other musical comedians are necessarily the same hmm. but I, I do tend to just have like a five minutes of wonderful inspiration and write a song and then have like weeks of nothing and then because <laughs> and so like and sometimes i do if there's like a really brilliant obvious edit that i have to do once i've sung it to an audience um then yeah i'll do that but i i don't I don't sort of ever really bring something half written to to a set. I like to have a whole thing. I like to have a yeah. whole song written. Um, and the end, yeah, it, it does mean a lot of ditching, which is, I think, a, a good thing. <laughs> so, I mean, when you're when you're writing songs, if you wrote say ten new songs over mm. a period of X months, like how many of those would survive that sort of cull? 
oh my gosh, into the, it, like the next the next year or the next hour or whatever. It really depends on <laughs> like if they were any good. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'd say about three in ten. Okay, yeah, are that's fair enough. Solid. Uh, will will play forever songs yeah 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 okay so um so in terms of like this approach to writing and basically like waiting for the moment of inspiration bashing out that uh that track having it then sort of signed sealed and delivered is that is that the way that you've always approached it have you ever done it differently is that something you did differently when you started and you now that you're kind of like more accomplished and more practiced that's this is something you can do that's a sort of a in some ways like a, a privilege of experience and expertise um, no, I think I've become less sure as as time's gone on. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> of everything of my own, yeah. <laughs> of my ability. Well, mainly. yeah, the, the more you know, the, yeah. the less you feel like you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, like, how does that how does that doubt manifest itself? Like, what does that what does that do to you when you're trying to write a song? Um, it just I think it's probably a good thing uh, because it means that that I probably do come out with better stuff in the end, but it doesn't help the process. It doesn't make it more enjoyable. <laughs> so you end up with a better product and the main the main difference for the creative process is that you suffer more during it. Is yes. That... Okay, yes. great. Right. So I think there's the lesson there is if you want a happier life, just <laughs> remain untalented, I think. <laughs> uh... No, because occasionally, I mean, I was, I just had a, when I was sort of writing them without any pressure or any, experience or you know like right at the beginning i just like i came up with some real gold and i think it's just a complete accident but i i wish i I feel like the accidents are fewer and far further between um because i don't know maybe i'm uh think overthinking things now um i don't know maybe i mean like i i've i've had something similar um in terms of approaching things so i mean, like one of the things that i like to do is like it's a set piece of list-based humor um and usually there is a sort of a, a through line through it that ends up with escalation uh, and or a descent into madness of one sort or another right like that's that's yeah. a, a James <laughs> with set pieces etc um and i i've had a similar sort of experience of like over time it has become harder to write those sorts of structured bits mm. partly it's because okay well i'm getting better and more accomplished at writing things like one-liners or like narrative little little narrative bits things like that um but also i i wonder if it's partly because like I've picked the low-hanging fruit of the things that I would easily be observed or easily incorporate into that format. Is that? <laughs> I mean, you're nodding a bit there. Does that sound like the sort of thing that fits into your understanding? Or oddly, um, it, I I completely understand where you're coming from. From, but I feel like uh, in terms of low-hanging fruit, I feel like I'm only just getting to the low-hanging fruit. Right, um, okay. I don't know whether that's because I'm too tall or too short. I don't really know like where <laughs> where it fits with the metaphor but like I've only really just most like in the last year or two started writing about myself um because that's usually where everyone starts Mm. um and it's been it's been so great and I'm really kind of glad I've got there now like now that I've lost any like care in the world about what people might think because I think I I if I started writing stand-up or songs about myself early on they would have been just riddled with um uh sort of cliches to sort of hide things um yeah. whereas i'm just being i feel like i've i've only just dis- discovered the wonderful uh thing about comedy which is just being honest and it's taken me yeah. a very long time um 
but maybe uh, that just I just needed to do that. And so in terms of low hanging fruit, we're talking like you know, uh, sort of more con- confessional sort of material. Um, mm, mm, mm. You know bodily stuff like the stuff that i haven't really done but it's it's going really well like it's amazing like how how good it is to be to do relatable material yeah, uh, yeah. i hadn't realized that before because <laughs> <laughs> i was doing quite well doing stuff that was completely unrelatable um but there you go but you'll have to come and see me if you want to see that there we go um, um yeah i mean i think you're absolutely right that like that sort of radical honesty is the thing that makes a lot of stand-up um appealing uh mm. to punters and like enjoyable to watch and like appealing to do as a performer um mm. that's really interesting so like this is all this kind of low-hanging fruit that you've kind of left on the table yeah it's um, so ripe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super ripe fruit all of my intimate fruit lying on the table it started if anything it started fermenting fermenting on its own <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so i mean do you feel then that you've kind of like been been hiding behind art history is that um kind of yeah especially as it's it's sort of i just did so much material on it um and then i think it was because it because i mean a lot of me was coming through because yeah you know and if you scratch the surface and i'm you know a geek but so so it's not like that wasn't coming through and like my personality was coming through but it's just um I think I probably was hiding behind it because I didn't think I had anything else. I didn't think I had anything to say, mm. um, really, just as me. Uh, I didn't think I had anything interesting to say. And I suppose that that is what's changed is now I don't care if anyone finds it interesting or not. <laughs> but I mean, that's like the confidence to say I'm going to write stuff that's about me and I don't care whether an audience finds that interesting yeah. or not. Like that's that's a confidence that comes with having stage legs and having yes. been doing it for quite some time right yeah i don't know how i don't know how stand-ups do it like because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hiding behind like um you know the historical stuff and songs uh, you know and, and the music so i think there is a lot of if, if i ever do gradually it's i mean it's, i'm in this cocoon and i've been it for so long maybe i'll be a, a stand-up butterfly one day but because um, a lot a lot of comedians do start off doing music and then sort of gradually find that they don't need or want to do it anymore. But I still I still very much want to and love doing songs. So I don't know if that's ever going to change. But yeah, um, yeah, fair we'll enough. see. I mean, one of my sort of um, uh, kind of like pet uh, theories. I mean, this is proper like um, armchair psychoanalysis time. <laughs> is that when 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 comedians are starting out? So um, I, yeah, like I say, pet theory. Um, male comedians, their sort of default, the kind of like the male folk humour, if you like, is to hide behind doing like really meta stuff. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to deconstruct the form and people can't criticise me if it's very clear that I've thought loads about comedy. <laughs> and like, here I am with the nuts and bolts and here I am, I'm going to do self-commentary and all of that sort of stuff. Um, whereas I think the sort of the, uh, you know, quote unquote female response to it is like... Uh, again quote-unquote hiding behind things like characters songs stuff like that like both of them are definitely like crutches but they're crutches that are kind of um you know uh uh socially constructed crutches uh that tilt people to you know these are the acceptable ways of hiding if you are conditioned male or conditioned female that's my that's my pet theory which i i, I now spew all over podcasting platforms for people to tell me how wrong i am in the comments <laughs> but, um 
I, I mean, I've seen an, an enormous amount because I, I run Cosmetic, but I get a mm. huge number of applications through. And like by observation, I have now watched I probably a couple of thousand yeah. application videos. Like oh my these, God, these are definitely observable. Like, I sift through this so the audience doesn't have to. <laughs> And there are some wonderful gems. There are some wonderful gems. Uh, you know, I, how else would I have discovered the Magnificent Harriet Brain if not for that process, right? I mean, I probably would not have seen you at a gig. But, um, you know, the, but, um, you know it is, I feel like it is a generally observable phenomenon that these are like, these are the ways in which it is acceptable to hide as a person and a performer. And those are the ways that, that some people tend yeah, to. Yeah, it's interesting. Because yeah. I, I, like I like to think I'm not using it as a crutch or, or hiding behind it, but I definitely was. And probably still am, but um, it's yeah. I think I'm, it's gradually sort of changing. What's wrong with crutches, eh? They, they, well, they, they do help you to walk. Like they, they do, definitely have they advantages. Um, and um, yeah, so I mean, there so you, you go. <laughs> I mean, I think you can definitely start out with something where it's like, okay, this is a crutch. This is something that I need as a support in order to get me on stage and get me out there. But then, yeah. like, you very definitely made it your own, right? Like in terms of the art history stuff in particular, like if you want somebody who is going to do comedy about art history, you come to Harriet Brain, there would be nobody else. Like, it doesn't make any sense to <laughs> to consider any other option there, right? So, you know, you've you've found that specialism and you've found that niche and you, you've yeah. done what a lot of kind of like successful, um, you know, kind of comedians do with this is you find a niche and you hit it hard. You found that niche and you've hit it hard. I did hit it hard. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's all in the past tense now, of course, because we're, yeah, we're moving on from this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I still do some of them, like, because, yeah. But yeah, I haven't written an art history song for a long time. How long's a long time? Uh, yeah, like a few years. Because um, it, <laughs> as I did, um, I think probably the first two years of comedy, the, uh, of my career, um, it was <laughs> it was probably that's probably all I did because I was working on that show which was all about art history, yeah. and then. I think I sort of panicked after that and thought, well, I can't do this forever. I can't write another 60 songs about our history, which is <clears throat> how many I probably wrote. Um, okay. I know it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Actually, it might not be 60. <laughs> it might be like 30. But um, still, a stupid a stupid number um, that no one should ever, ever do. Um, but uh, And then after that, I sort of had a very difficult second show. Um, and then... And then I sort of found another groove. I thought I sort of had to fall into another groove. It's like the only thing I could think of doing. So I f- did songs about scientists instead, which I absolutely loved. But it was very difficult to make fun of um, some of them because they did really cool stuff. <laughs> That's nice. I mean, that kind of like, I think that brings us uh, on quite neatly to uh, the the next uh, song or sort of songlet. Yeah. Um, so with the sort of the Putin reference, I'm just going to uh, re- reference here. This was filmed in September 2020. I can't long remember. Before, yeah, long before the, the current invasion of Ukraine. But it's not a song about Putin, okay, guys? No. It's about Valentina Tereshkova. Yes. If that's um, how you pronounce it. I think so. Think so? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I really like this one. So this is, um, I mean, this is basically a two-line song, right? Yes. Um, so I, I was wondering, like, is this is this a stepping stone on the way to developing a longer song, or is it the musical equivalent, a comedy equivalent of a one-liner? It's it's one of the few one-liners that I've written. In yeah, uh, and some of them, most of them, haven't been very good. So this is the only good one-liner I've joke I've. I've <laughs> song i've i've written um and i still do it now even despite the invasion um because you know it, it gives it a bit of a, a frisson of uh, danger um but uh but yeah she, she's she's a really interesting person and so um and i just when i thought of the of the punchline i just was like oh well that's 
great i'm just I, i'm in love um and then i did write a long song a, but to a different like a completely original tune um about her for the podcast that i did with beck hill and dr lucy rogers uh which is called design spark uh so there is a long a longer song uh about her uh on that podcast i didn't record it separately i don't think um so you have to listen to that to sit to hear it um but uh yes that the actual the bit that i do still now and in that gig was is just that one-liner okay cool so you say there's other one-liners that haven't worked is this something you've kind of like sat down and tried to do and you tried to bash out like musical one-liners and they've not succeeded or is this something where um you just kind of like create these kind of like off cuts by accident like yeah do, that's that. do you have a process and why does it work <laughs> or not work off cuts by accident is is it because yeah. it, it'll be something that i think of you know like on my bike to or from work i'll be like oh that's a hilarious tiny bit and i'll like put it on put it on my phone um and then usually they don't because i like to really like explore things and uh and i would try and write a whole song from from a one-liner but sometimes it's just they're just not meant to be and it's just supposed to be short and sweet yeah yeah no, that's totally fair enough. I could be see where you're coming from with that. Um, cool. So, uh, with the capability Brown song, which is your third and final one. So, mm. to me, this is a this is um, you know, this is very much the kind of song that I think of when I think Harriet Brain. Like it's a it's a it's a quirky song about art history or you know latterly science. Um, and I, it, this song strikes me as very much being like a a staple of your sets. Yes. Um, yeah. So, what is it about a gig that makes you choose? particular songs choose what made you choose this one for this gig what would make you choose it for a particular audience i really like to do this gig uh this song um well and this gig james um <laughs> i like to do the song when it is a very diverse crowd because i always get interesting because basically this is a chance for me to for the audience to make me laugh because their responses mm-hmm, are mm-hmm, hilarious mm-hmm. and i really love that and you know they feed off that and i feed off that um so i do it I, yeah i do it like when it's like a fairly big friendly diverse room is, is when i like to do this and most recently i did it in um a village called goring and streetly or streetly i can't remember how it's pronounced now i think goring and streetly uh which is a little village very very wealthy and they'd the the other act that was on who was another musical comedian had already done a song about capability brown <laughs> and, and and then i did mine and i was like goring this is the only place in the world where this would happen like you're you're so lucky and and, and they were they were utterly obviously brilliant at you know getting all the answers to the to the crossword yeah um, i was about to say it's a crossword puzzle isn't it yes it's a crossword puzzle yeah. with little clues and um it's i'm i mean you can never underestimate your audience like i've done this in really small rooms as well with a you know full of you know young people or whatever and even it it's just everyone likes wordplay like you have yeah. not got to know who he is what he did capability brown is irrelevant to the song really <laughs> um which 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 is fine <laughs> yeah 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 we we don't we don't miss him as a no, guy no we don't no <laughs> So I, I'm fascinated the the idea that you would end up with two musical comedians yeah. both doing a song about Capability Brown. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I would I would definitely read that as somebody hoving in my territory if I was if I were you. Um, 
<laughs> well, they he's... they hadn't seen me like we hadn't seen each other before. Um, I, it like it was a it, and they were different enough songs. It was yeah. a, it was kind of amazing. <laughs> I mean, the odds against that are truly staggering. Uh, it's, <laughs> they it's really are. Like I, yeah, it's 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 gonna stay with me for a long time. That memory, I think. <laughs> Uh, we probably shouldn't drop the name of that comedian here. No, I, I know you, you, Well, I mean, you could. No, you don't have to. You oh, could. Well, well he's, he's more of a sort of folk sort of folk um, comedy guy. He's called Pete Horton. But um, okay. it's up to you guys if, you know, cool guy. Kind of older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you trying to say that your capability song is going to outlive his? Is that... Um, no. But no. statistically... I'm just hinting at the, the, at the style. Okay. And that I am close. I mean, people used to um, compare me to Earl Oaken, who's another old man. So, like, yeah, my yeah. like my comedy is is old man humor in a young woman's body, <laughs> which, which apparently is what people want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, is that a thing that you kind of? that your time at university then tilted you much more towards these things that you're doing in a sort of extracurricular way and the kind of yeah. away from the degree, but inspired from it, inspired by it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think that's a that's a pretty common pattern. I think not yeah. just with like comedy, but also with I don't. I know an enormous number of people who basically went to university to do a degree in X, but the thing they actually do in real life is a thing related to Y, and that's because Y is the thing that they did for three years yeah. um, <laughs> uh, instead of doing thing X. Yeah. Um, so I think it's you know definitely something to bear in mind if you are one of the younger people. I think listening to this um, is you know make sure that you kind of. Um, if you are uh, lucky enough to go into university, um, that you, you pack your time in with things that you might think about doing because it's like time to try loads of stuff. And Definitely. if you can build up the experience doing that stuff, then it's um, it's really helpful for whatever you're doing next. Uh, cool. So um, do you find that your um, the subject matter that you go for limits the, the kinds of gigs that you apply for and put yourself forward for or that you get offered? Uh, yeah, I have never done a gong show. Hmm never ever um i've never applied for one uh i just don't think it would work i mean i I could be proven wrong and i know that there are musical comedians who have absolutely smashed gong shows um but that i haven't so i haven't done that and i think i suppose uh there must be gigs that i don't get offered because i do music but i don't really i mean i I wouldn't know would i (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you don't know about the ones that reject you generally um it's a big ghost in culture and comedy um there is but there is. uh i think like the main sort of stumbling block because i do a lot of parody songs is that people are very scared to record them or broadcast them in any way um so oh, for example for that pod- podcast for the podcast that i was met- that i mentioned earlier uh design spark um i wrote a an original song for every episode which which is the hardest i've ever worked in comedy wise um and i've also written original songs you know for other purposes um but but yeah and i've sort of maybe written maybe a third original and two-thirds parody or something like that but i just don't think they're as funny as the parodies and Mm, the problem mm. is is that i do almost solidly parodies when i'm gigging which means that TV and radio people, if they do come to see me, yeah. um, think, well, no. I mean, she smashed it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But we can't have that on the on the radio. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... 
but I, you know, I am capable of of, of writing original songs just for for, any, for anyone out there. I've I also written jingles. Not to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you feel like there are any particular advantages that you have over like vanilla stand-ups by virtue of being a musical comedian? Um, advantages, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the main one earlier is is the the applause. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and it's I do. Cheating. It's I, cheating. I hate you so much. Yeah, I know, but, honestly... but it's and it's not. You know, it's not my fault, James. It's just how people. <laughs> it's just how people are programmed. It's just all you know. Of... You finish the song. It could have been systemic oppression of non-musical comedians. It could have been a rubbish song as well, and it often is with the musical comedians. (laughs) But you get an applause break anyway. Yeah. Um. Like which I absolutely love. Uh. But I do. (laughs) I I think that's that is probably the the main discernible advantage, and also just you can do. Um. People don't mind you repeating. Like I've been asked to do yeah. an encore of a song that they've already heard before yes. Yes. in the set, yeah, and the set's been maybe twenty minutes. Like, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Like the repeating power of songs is is a real advantage. Yeah, yeah, that's like a full callback. Whereas I have I have never and I never expect to be asked to do a structured three to five minute bit yeah. again at the end of my twenty minute set. But I think you know again, this is where the old mannishness comes in. Is that that used to be more what comedy was like i think yeah, like b- yeah. people used to do bits and the bits used to be so well known and they used to do the same bits for decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. and everyone could listen to them hundreds of times and i think i i, I do wonder why that isn't the case anymore because i think it you know could could be i think comedy's yeah. comedy's got to to up itself <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the, I mean, what you're describing there is definitely like the sort of the musical tradition, yeah, and and the fact that you would need to go to a special place in order to watch the the thing. You would have to go to the musical, whereas like nowadays it's so much more accessible um, with the internet. Yeah, I suppose so. And people do watch the same videos over and over again, so it's yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the big change really is the the sort of the the rise of um, alternative comedy in the 80s and through to 90s, and the idea of like yes, the exactly. comedian as the as the conversational auteur. The like, auteur, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you, you are the solo creator, and you've got to make <laughs> it like seem like it's natural, and that's what the medium then becomes. It's not about this sort of staid old end of the pier kind of thing. It's yeah. about like the immediacy of you as a performer, you as a creative genius who's sparking off these ideas all the time. And, yeah. and of course, it appears which conversational, is, and therefore which is why I'm surprised that musical comedy still works in this environment. Maybe it's because it's still like not every not a lot of people are doing it i don't know because yeah it's, it's the total opposite of of um you know it's it's so rehearsed yeah um, but i mean do, do people do you think that you ben benefit from being interpreted in people's brains as oh well this is like music and i'm listening to music rather yeah. than this is comedy i'm listening to comedy is maybe that what it is i think it is yeah and i think the more you mix the two together so i think like the more i break out of the song and talk to the audience the 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 funnier it gets because like that it's the mixing of the two and like the mixture of rehearsed and seemingly or actually um off the cuff they love yeah. that that mixture yeah, is like yeah, yeah. surprisingly yeah. heady and I, I don't really know why yeah i mean you've got the you've got the structured thing which is here i am demonstrating my talent um plus 
here's a bit of parasocial relationship building kind of thing. I think that's that's the sort of mix. Like, I really enjoy a live album that's got a bit of, oh, bit yeah. of bantering between yeah. tracks. Like, yeah. I think it's a bit like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you uh, are you often on the bill with other musical comedians? Because, I mean, personally, as a promoter, I try to not book more than mm-hmm. one musical act on a bill, right? Um, and I wonder if that's a thing that you find other promoters do as well, or are you occasionally booked on all musical bills? How does it work? Yeah, it's 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 all or or nothing you know it's so yeah it's either i'm the only one or we're all musical that's basically it although for a while because i i run this gig uh with julian hall and cameron blair which is a hilarious name uh but it's his real name um (laughs) in uh in london my name is the problem twice (laughs) so um yeah so we run this gig in uh london bridge in the leather exchange uh every month and he, Cameron, is also a musical comedian, but he's... So So we used to, you know, as part of our hosting duties, do some stuff each. Um, and so they used to, you know, there used to be two of us on the bill, and that was quite rare. Um, mm. But now he's, he's sort of branched out into, um, uh, well, less music now. So now I am the musical comedian, um, which I'm more used to, frankly. But yeah, it's, it doesn't make any difference to me, really. Like, I don't feel like more or less threatened by any other style of comedy. And like when, when there's all musical comedians on the bill, then great. When there's more than one, great. When it's just me, that's also fine. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I will take literally any gig. That's what I'm reading from that. That's good. Okay, lovely. So um, if there is one thing that you could say to yourself at the age of 18 on the basis of what you know now, what would it be? Oh, that's a horrible question. Mm. Um I'd say go to see, forget about going to gigs, like music gigs, because most of the gigs I went to as a teenager were frankly awful. Um, go and see some comedy, because I, I was basically like, I was not a, really aware of stand-up as a live thing um, at that age. And I know it's mostly in pubs, so it's difficult, but um, for like pre-18-year-olds, but... I was so so desperate to be, to go to music gigs and didn't give a you know, but I say wake up, wake up and smell the comedy and go. <laughs> um, that's what I'd say. That is excellent advice. Uh, so um, thanks, Harry. That was all great. So um, if people want to catch up with you and your things, uh, where should they look you up? Okay, so if they want to come and see me live, they can come to uh, SE1 Comedy at the Leather Exchange, which is in London Bridge. It's very near London Bridge Station, so it's very accessible. Um, And that's uh, first Thursday of every month at around 8pm. And it costs £5, I believe. Uh, Used to be six, now it's five. Uh, And we usually have uh, four or five people on, uh, plus the hosts, and it's really, really fun. So come along to that. Um, and you can catch the podcast, which is called the Design Spark Podcast with Beck Hill and Dr. Lucy Rogers and me. Uh, I'm at Harriet Brain on everything. Um, I think there's only one of me. It's a fairly unique name. So at Harriet Brain, uh, I've got some YouTube videos that I made in lockdown, which are very poor quality. Check them out as well. Uh, yeah. Lovely stuff. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Harriet, and uh, we will see you soon. Thanks, James. Bye-bye. Bye. That 
was the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, if you want to catch a live show in London, look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash Quantum Leopard to sign up to the mailing list. Uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison, but from each according to their ability to each according to their need. So if you enjoyed our guests in your ears, but we'd like them in your eyes as well, uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard. We only charge when a new live show video comes out. If you enjoyed the show, why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials. Editing was by uh, Reese Lawton, who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties. Uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services uh, at I Am Rooks on the socials. That's Rooks with an E. Uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can share it as much as you like, but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live. Uh, kind love and see you soon. Bye. Unless you're Will Smith.